0: Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Sustainable Ecommerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. Now, unless you've been living in some kind of nudist colony for the last decade, I'm sure you'll be aware that the fashion industry has a particularly bad rap when it comes to sustainability. There's fast fashion rampant overproduction, synthetics and a whole host of other systemic issues that are literally baked into the supply chain. In fact, the fashion industry collectively is known as having the second highest carbon footprint behind oil and gas. But of course, There are brands out there trying to change all that. And my guest today is an absolute champion for the cause. Zoltan Saki is co-founder of Sydney based fashion brand, Citizen Wolf, and their mission literally stated is to unfuck the fashion industry. As you'll see, they've recognized that overproduction is one of the biggest problems in the industry as a whole. And over the past few years have been building out a new model for the industry based on a new take on made to order. But with organic fabrics, carbon positive production, free repairs for life and now a fully circular product life cycle, they are literally setting a new standard for sustainability and fashion. In my opinion, all of this makes them one of the most groundbreaking brands in the last decade and it was an absolute thrill to catch up with Zoltan. So with that, let's start the show. Sultan Saki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Giles. Thanks
1: for having me. Lovely to be here,
0: Sultan. It's so it's so exciting. I feel like even though we have only really just connected in the past couple of months, I feel like I've known you for a very long time because I I saw you give a talk I don't know four years or so ago in a Shopify conference, and and it was it was that talk that really inspired me to start my own journey. Uh, and help other brands become more sustainable as well. And so I I feel like I've got an enormous amount of gratitude for you, and even more so that, in fact, you've joined me on the show today. So thank you for everything uh, so far. But enough of me. I want to know everything there is to know about Zoltan Zaki, and I know that uh, that the listeners want to know who you are, and why you guys have started citizen wolf what's it all about
1: so first of all what an intro <laughs> thank you um that that's very kind and, and i'm glad that i was a little you know some small part of the catalyst that led you down the journey that you're on that's that's really amazing four years ago i can't even remember four years ago <laughs> i was a different person
0: yeah bc before covid
1: that too. certainly citizen wolf was a different beast back then as well but um you know i'm always i'm always honored when anybody gives me the opportunity to talk about what we do why we do and, and our journey so so thanks yeah my name's is i'm one of the co-founders here at citizen wolf we're a sydney-based fashion technology startup and we sit really at the intersection of fashion sustainability and technology our mission is to re-engineer the way clothes are made at scale to save our planet and The reason I guess that we exist is to validate beyond a shadow of a doubt a new system for the fashion industry. Because our belief is quite simply that we cannot solve climate change without changing the way fashion exists or is made. In that fashion as an industry is an incredibly large part of the climate problem. You probably know, everybody knows, everybody might have heard this, but you know, it's the second most polluting. Uh, industry in the world after oil and gas Um, it's it's got incredible scale all around the world and and as a result it is responsible for, for quite a lot of bad in the world and quite simply that's down to the fact that a lot of the industry is based on guessing you know like lots trillions of dollars of purchasing decisions every year are based on guesses and the reality is nobody can predict the future. And it's high time that we moved away from guessing as, a, as the bedrock of making, of making production decisions because what guessing or what trying to guess what the consumer might want in one month, three months, six months, however long down the track, what that results in is incredible waste. So like the fashion industry is defined by overproduction. Again, you might have heard this stat, but it bears repeating because it's so frightening in that one in three pieces of clothing made every year goes to landfill unsold, right? It's, it's incredible when you think about it. And, you know, somewhere in the region of 100 billion garments are made every year, roughly 30 billion garments. Think about all the input costs. Think about the water to grow the cotton if it's made of cotton or the oil that gets extracted mm. to make the polyester let alone the labour and the freight and the lights and the shops and all the rest of it, right? You think about all those input costs just to plough it straight back into the ground. It's, it's just disgusting, right? So, like, But mass production and overproduction, um, two sides of the same coin, it is really the sacred cow at the heart of the industry that nobody is talking about. And so here at Citizen Wolf, we have taken it upon ourselves to, as I said, validate an entirely new way of working which is made to order at scale. And we layer on Custom Fit through some technology that we built called Magic Fit. Really is a Trojan horse for for the customer to get exactly what they want in terms of it's guaranteed to fit their body, yet understand that because it's being made for them, it's going to take a little longer. And so we're not just picking something off off a shelf in a DC and sending it out. So that's Citizen Wolf in a nutshell.
0: For anyone that's seen me talking around, uh, you know, messaging and and all that sort of stuff, Citizen Wolf is certainly one of the brands that I talk about as being a a leader in the space and actually leading the journey for us all to follow. And your mission as a purpose driven brand, I think is quoted as to unfuck the fashion industry, which which I think is quite interesting. but. What does it really mean? Like, is it, is it simply the overproduction you were just talking about or does it go broader than that?
1: It starts with overproduction and, and probably ends there with us too. But, you know, fashion is an incredibly destructive industry all around. You don't have to try very hard to find numerous, innumerable examples of slavery, modern slavery within the fashion supply chain. So there's an incredibly large ethics issue which got a lot of air through the probably 90s and 2000s, you know, with Nike and all the rest of it. And it's kind of dropped out to a degree and been replaced with sustainability. And I think many people, consumers, as well as people perhaps in the industry do end up conflating ethics and sustainability. And like, I understand why I don't think it's correct, but I actually understand why, because I also don't think it's feasible to say, well, we're an ethical brand, but we don't give a shit about the planet. we care deeply about the planet but we're going to screw the workers uh anyway because who cares and that's how fashion's done you know so i I really do think that ethics and sustainability are uh, two sides of the same coin and i don't think you should have or can have really one without the other so look i think the biggest problem in fashion is overproduction and it's a it's a systems issue you know it's the you you go to fashion school you graduate if you want to start your own label you The default is I'm going to go offshore and and I'm going to have to make it in in bulk and I'm going to do standard size breaks and I'm I'm certainly probably going to have to make more than I want to, but that's the minimum at the factory and that's in a way I get lower unit prices and and like I'll just, I'll figure out the sales a bit later, you know, And, and that's the inherent problem. The default is mass production, but the default is waste as well. Because as I said, even the even the best laid plans will never correlate to the reality mm. of the market, you know? Mm. And so what we do at Citizen Wolf is by contrast, it's very, very, very simple. Like it's radically simple when you think about it. And that is simply we ask people what they want and then we go and make it for them. So we don't make anything until we get paid. We don't make anything until that thing has a home already to go to. And because we ask exactly what they want and and we're a custom brand, so we can give them exactly what they want, the result is the clothes that we make end up having a different place in people's wardrobes than things that they bought off the rack. So we know from our customers that when something fits better, you wear it more often because it makes you feel good. When you wear something more often, you love it more. When you love something, rather than rush to replace it, you actually want to just elongate the life of that thing for for as long as possible so we do free repairs for life it's a shit business decision but it's the right thing to do for the planet and it's the right thing to do for for the customer and so people end up having a different emotional relationship with our clothes than they do with something else that they've bought off the rack and -hmm. that's not unique to citizen wolf it's just part of when you're when you've had something made for you When it's made to fit your body, when you've decided the color and the fabric, let alone maybe tweaks and details on the style to make it shorter or longer, or I want seven, eight sleeves, not three quarter sleeves, whatever. You know, we literally just ask people what they want to do, and then we go and make it. And that's, you know, that's the radical simplicity at the heart of our model. Of course, being able to do that at scale on timelines that compete with traditional e-commerce, I mean, that's that's the trick, right? And, and that's our business. But yeah, fundamentally, we're trying to prove that there is a different way of working, which puts the customer really at the heart. And in doing so, just completely sidesteps and eliminates this entire problem with overproduction.
0: Yeah. So what you've really done is you, you, you're sort of bringing mass customization to the everyday garment industry, I suppose. I mean, obviously there's been, you know, the concept of of, of custom clothing has been around since year dot with, you know, formal wear and suits and bridal and, you know, all the, all the rest of that sort of stuff. But what you've really done is you're, you're, you've you leveraged your own proprietary technology to make that very simple as an online purchasing process. Do you want to just talk about, about Magic Fit quickly? I know obviously you're not going to go into the details, but just give people a context of why why that's at the core of 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 what you're trying to achieve
1: so when we started six years ago we we kind of thought to ourselves it's crazy that the clothes that we wear most often fit us in many cases they're the worst fitting things in the wardrobe or the inverse of that statement is you know if you're going to get married you probably go and you know you get yourself a nice suit it might be tailored dress the same thing um and so, for one day of your life, you have this thing that's actually perfectly made to, to fit you, and you feel great, and that that's all part of it and you know some people work in banks or you know whatever, and they wear tailored suits, fancy suits all the time, but most people don't right and so it, it occurred to us that the insanity of tailoring was that it was limited to these things that you wore super infrequent and so we began by thinking, well what if we could bring you know, all the benefits of custom fit to the casual wardrobe. And why hasn't anyone done that before, right? Why? Because if I want a fancy suit or if I wanted a wedding dress, there's dozens, hundreds, thousands of suppliers, even in a tiny place like Australia that that can do an excellent job for me on that. But if I wanted a a custom fit T-shirt or jeans or sweat, it, it kind of doesn't exist. And so we thought, well... That's weird, but it's also an opportunity. And what if we can leverage technology to basically take the cost of tailoring effectively to zero, and in doing so, be able to apply custom fit to the casual wardrobe? And so that's pretty much the journey that we've been on here for the last five, six years at Citizen Wolf. We had to create that technology because all the disparate parts existed in different forms, but it hadn't been knitted together. And so we ended up creating a, a, a you know, we've, we've got a, a tech stack. It's three different layers, um, the first of which we call Magic Fit, and that's the bit that's customer facing. So all I need to create a custom fit garment is your height, weight, age. And for women, we ask for bra. And from those three or four data points, we can create a 3D model of your body or estimate of your body uh, that's about 96% accurate. So we spent the first two years of Citizen Wolf's life building a data set manually here in Sydney. So we hand measured about 2,000 people and I hand cut 2,000 custom fit t-shirts. You know, fashion's not my background. I'd never cut fabric before in my life. But, you know, when we began, we we knew where we wanted to go, right, which was to arrive at this place we're in now, which we have this algorithm that does it all for us. But we knew we had to to you know, start in a non-scalable fashion. So we married out this custom data set that we created with much larger biometric data sets that exist to create a statistical model. Now, it's, it's, it's distilled from about 196 million data points, which is a large number. It sounds impressive. And it is because it works and everybody calls bullshit on it. The very first time I talk about it or people hear about it, the general consensus is that's impossible for me little old me snowflake me to be reduced to three or four variables and it's kind of true but it's also the fact that you know we're standing on the shoulders of giants in many ways that there's been a lot of scientific research on the human body over many many years and how people age and how weight gets distributed and how that distribution of weight changes with age all of this is very well understood by science it's just never been applied to the fashion industry so yeah, we created the magic fit data uh, algorithm. We also asked for you to tell us what you know about your body because you, know, you grow up, you get to be an adult. If you've got a long torso, you know you've got a long torso, right? Because you've been told it probably since you were three years old. Or the same if you've got long legs or broad shoulders or whatever. And so we asked people to, to explain their body to us in natural language, in English, just, and just tell us what makes you special. And that allows us to shift the statistical model to be more accurate than it otherwise would be. So that's really important. So that's the first layer of the tech stack. Then we built what we call Garmin OS, which is the software that basically takes that 3d model of your body and turns it into a custom fit pattern. And it's also all the production um, and the process software that runs the factory. And then the final part of the tech stack is the hardware itself, which is what we call our factory. So, we created our own factory here in Sydney because we couldn't find somebody in the industry that, in the supply chain, sorry, that wanted to change the way that they worked. Because if I want to make 100 T-shirts or f- better 500 T-shirts or even better 5,000 T-shirts, it's really easy to get that mm. solved. even in Australia, right? There's still plenty of people that will happily do that for you. But nobody that we spoke to wanted to work in a made-to-order, or a, or, you know, model let alone the custom fit which we were handling but no factory wanted to change the way they worked so we kind of like we knocked our head against the wall for a couple of years and then in the end it was just it felt like the easiest decision was to create our own factory Mm. so that's what we did i think if i knew then what i know now about running a factory i wouldn't have like rushed so heavily and quickly into that decision (laughs) um Cause you know, it's a radically different business and unlike other fashion businesses, you know, we keep, we hold a lot of headcount in the factory and yeah. things like that. So, you know, it is, it is, we're actually a really different configuration than, than most fashion businesses. Um, so anyway, the factory is the, the third and final part of the tech stack and, and We created it from scratch here in Sydney to work in a made to order model, like a single-piece production model. It's not rocket science because we still have seamstresses and they still sew garments uh, like they do in any factory around the world. The distinction is mostly one seamstress will take one garment from start to finish all the way through the different machines needed to make that thing. That's obviously not how it works when you're on a mass production line.
0: Yeah. I mean, you say it's not rocket science, but it, sounds pretty rocket sciencey to me I've got I've, I've got to be honest looking I don't know a huge amount and there's certainly nowhere near as much as you about the fashion industry but what I do know is that what you just described does sound like literally reinventing the wheel for the benefit of humanity uh which and and in the environment we live in and and so I mean amazing so many things I want to unpick about that but obviously the essence of what you just said is you're using a very cool set of technology stacks to solve the problem of overproduction, rampant overproduction in the fashion industry, which is cool. But I know you guys don't stop there. And I want to get to, uh, you know, circularity in your business model in a moment. But before I do, uh, as a sort of way into that, I want to take a step back to something you said earlier. You know, you were talking about the horrific numbers of garments, 30 billion garments a year that end up simply unsold in landfill, you know, with recycling sort of a thing, I mean, we've had 30 years to develop recycling systems in the world. Why is it that so many of those just end up in landfill and they don't go to some sort of recycling center or don't get reclaimed by the manufacturer to put back into the system? What's what's the story there?
1: It's a very complex answer. I think there are different reasons, probably for different brands, but certainly cost is one of them. You know, it's often more expensive to figure out what to do with something than to just throw it in the bin. So like pure economics plays a part and that's as much an accounting problem as it is a as a desire to do the right thing problem because, you know, the accountants will say, just write it off. Just, oh, it's unsold stock, just write it off. It's not worth anything, you know? And so, and if you do that, it can probably be a tax write-off for, you know, income in the future. Like, so that's a like very complex problem, but I think the reality is the the system's set up to like make stuff and sell stuff, and and really only in the very recent past has anyone started to think about the end of life and, and the afterlife. And you know this idea of circularity is is quite a new uh, phenomenon, you know. And We're really at the beginning, I think, of we as in the, the species of the human species. We're at the beginning of that journey of trying to understand and rewire how the world works so that it, it is more circular and it is less destructive on the mm. whole.
0: Yeah, 100% agree with that. And you know, obviously, you've got your eye on the whole supply chain, I imagine, like a hawk. Do you see? service providers cropping up that are dedicated to doing that more now to try and solve that problem upstream and provide a more economical source for recycled garment uh, recycled material
1: yeah so the, the flip side of the, the answer to the previous question was that there isn't really also yet um there isn't any scaled solution for composite fibers so a lot of the stuff that we wear not from citizen wolf because we only use natural fibers but a lot of the stuff you might buy from other brands are sort of cotton poly blends and things mm. like that. And once those yarns have been blended, there isn't a good way to, to recycle them yet. There's been a lot of uh, work in that field and there's, a, there's certainly a lot of technology that looks like it's going to work at scale, but hasn't yet been scaled. So a lot of demonstration technology for like chemical disassembly and all this stuff. And, and that's all great. And it's going to come online eventually, but it isn't there yet. So straight up, we just don't have a a good, we don't have a recycling solution for a huge amount of the fiber that gets put into the world or the garments that get put into the world. Uh, In terms of natural fibers only, there are recycling systems that have been existing for a long time. In fact, what we do with, so we have a take back program now, um, which we just launched kind of recently, um, where we'll take back anything that we've put into the world. Um, and combine it with our pre-consumer waste as in the off-cut scraps from the laser cutter we have to send that to spain sadly there's no solution in australia but we send it to spain and then they basically create a 50 percent recycled fiber spun around a core of, of organic cotton for strength because as you shorten the fiber uh, lengths by recycling because you rag it's mechanical right you rag it down And that's, it's mechanical disassembly effectively. It shortens the fiber lengths and therefore it makes it uh, less, less robust, less durable. Mm, mm. So they spin it around a a core of virgin fiber. In our case, it's organic cotton, um, for strength. And so we then get back a 50% recycled 50% uh, organic cotton, uh, fiber or yarn which we re-import to Australia and we knit in Melbourne um, because almost all of our fabric is actually knitted in Melbourne. We're very, very pro the local supply chain where we can. Uh, so we, we knit it into new T-shirt or jersey, which is T-shirt material, uh, and, then, you know, and then we sell it, right? So right now we are very proudly 100% circular in that I can sell you a T-shirt today made out of any fabric you like that we supply You wear it for as long as you want to wear it. Um, I will fix it if it breaks because we do free repairs for life. It's it's a terrible business decision, but it's the right thing for the planet. It's the best thing for the customer. So you wear it for as long as you possibly can. When you're done with it, you send it back to me. I'll credit you for the postage so it's cost neutral. And then I can turn that old garment into new fabric from which to make your new and next T-shirt. And so that is true circularity. Mm. And we're extremely proud of that. We're also very we're unique in the sense that we've only ever put natural fibre into the world, so I can take it back, knowing full well that it can be recycled and at any point in the future. And what what kind of grinds my gears a little bit about the discussion around circularity? Certainly here in Australia, I don't know if it's overseas, but it tends to focus on reuse and re re-commerce you know like selling it on to somebody else so giving the existing thing in a second life through another mm. customer and that's great right compared to the linear take make waste model that's that's a great solution but it's it really isn't true circularity because all that does is it elongates that garment stays in the world for longer which is great but it ultimately will still end up in landfill whereas true circularity is as i described earlier it's the ability to make something then disassemble it and then make that same thing again Mm. right and so yeah unfortunately i find in australia a lot of that circularity discussion doesn't talk about that at all it just it just focuses on this re-commerce part and i think that's because it's the that's the it's the easy win right like it's much much easier to solve for reuse than it is for recycling um and so that's, I guess, sadly, that that's where we've ended up. But yeah. yeah, when we talk about circularity, it is about remaking that that same thing. And I'm super proud of that. It's just, it's quite kind of near for us.
0: You absolutely should be. And of course, you know, that means you've got, you know, you're using organic fibers, you're solving the overproduction and you're truly circular now as well. Um, you know, no doubt there's carbon offsets in there as well around the process. Yeah. So congratulations on all three. You got, you know, really got one, three of the, Pretty core central pillars i would say of of you know unfucking the fashion industry right there it bakes my noodle to be honest that the recycling systems techniques and processes that have been in place for natural fibers for a long time that we don't have any of those facilities here in australia that you have to ship it to spain for goodness sake which is literally about as far away from us as you can get
1: yeah it is (laughs)
0: isn't it really on the other side of the world which is absolutely incredible
1: we've lost other parts of even the virgin supply chain you know we run merino wool which i believe is a very beautiful fiber and sustainable because it's you know regenerative not without its issues right everything's got issues and pros and cons but australia grows the best merino in the world it gets sent to china Unfortunately, to be scoured and processed and turned into yarn, which we then re import to to knit into Jersey here in in Australia. And so that, and it's the same thing for the
0: organic cotton. For
1: most of it with cotton. Yeah. I mean, there's no organic cotton in Australia.
0: Yeah. Since over to India.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same with the cotton supply chain. We're just missing that that certain bit in the middle. Um, And it's crazy because we could do it here but again you know it's a cost issue it's a it's a labor cost issue it's a scalability issue and yeah it's it's just it is what it is but i'd wish it, i wish it was different you know
0: yeah absolutely well i, I think it's time for a quick change of pace because we're getting through our time at a at a, an incredible rate although it's fascinating chatting about all these things in terms of i'd like to i'd like to just explore your uh journey having built you know, over the last six years, having having built Citizen Wolf. Tell us a little bit about what the journeys look like and, you know, some of the some of the highs, lows and biggest lessons that you've taken out of that, you know, brand building exercise that you've been on.
1: It has really been a hard journey for us because from day one, we've been trying to prove a new way of working, right? It's one thing to just look at any business, any industry and go, oh yeah, that's interesting. But I think if I do something a little bit different here, and you know, maybe you're a really good operator, you can you can find your niche, make a decent business. But you know, we've we've been creating something that hadn't really existed before, and and that's inherently difficult. In that, it, risk is obviously a huge part of it, but failure is a huge part of it too. Um, but this is not this is my third startup, so I've failed twice previously. Um, for different reasons in different industries but um citizen wolf very much is you know from my personal perspective the, in many ways i guess the phoenix from the ashes of those mm. two failures and i've certainly learned my lessons um and and i can bring those experiences into citizen wolf but you know notwithstanding that there were many times in the past uh you know over the years where it was on the precipice of, of not working or not continuing. Um, you know, and there's, it's so complex. There's so many things to talk about. Um, but you know, money funding is incredibly difficult, but important, you know, Mm. innovation costs money, um, and you have to have people that believe in you, you know, you have to be, you have to be able to, to sell the dream to to customers to employees to investors and i think that's the one thing that i've certainly got better at over the years because it's it's you know i'm in that fortunate position now where we still talk about vision and you know there's still a disconnect from from our ultimate goal perhaps and what you see before you right now but it, it's a <laughs> it's <laughs> it's um it's not like it used to be, I suppose, yeah. you know, in that yeah. we, we can point to, well, we've done this and we've done that and we know it works and we've got the cogs under control. And, um, but yeah, like, cause it, it, you know, we, we, not only did we start the brand, but as I said, we started the factory and then we had to get our heads around how that works and, and, yeah, it's it's been a ride, right, man. And then the latest chapter is virtual. So that's a whole other thing.
0: Yeah, I know. And, and, and I think, you know, you're saying that it's been a sort of a very interesting journey, not always, you know, probably lots of blind alleys, particularly when you're trying to build technology from the, from the ground up and a, a new way of working and all the rest of it. I mean, you've bitten off. A huge amount there. One of the things I thought that was interesting that Eric, uh, one of your co-founders, said uh, the other day was that you've grown without any ad spend, or at least not not a, an appreciable amount of ad spend. And I thought that was fascinating in this modern day and age. So, what what has been your what has been your main source of attracting new customers?
1: <clears throat> so, let me qualify that. We've we grew thirty percent last year without any more ad spend. So we do. We do spend okay. on ads. We're not, um, we're not, unfortunately, that amazing. You know, we're not supreme, I guess. Um, there are other examples too where people grow, you know, phenomenally with, without traditional advertising. You know, we do performance marketing. Um, we're not really big enough to do anything else. You know, we don't do billboards and brand and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We do performance, you know, I'm happy to talk about that. That was, you know, that was some. that was a learning experience that was quite difficult in that we got, we outsourced it at the start and then ended up bringing it all in house because it, it just, it stopped working with this out of house solution. And I really think as a direct to consumer brand as well, you know, being able to acquire customers is by definition, the core, (laughs) the core competency of the business. And I think if you if you go down that path of outsourcing it it's it just leads to to a gray area which is very hard to to predict um so we went on an incredibly steep learning journey internally to to get across performance marketing, not to say that we're very good at it, certainly not excellent at it, but we're good enough but you know that that's something i guess to summarize or reduce that statement to like. The thing that defines my outlook, and I would say citizen Wolf more generally, is just the the approach of like, how difficult can it be? You know, um, mm. how hard can it be? That's my bumper sticker, I always say. And to a fault, my, my, my approach is like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can start a factory. Yeah, we can write the tech. Yeah, we can become performance marketers. And there's only so many hours in the day right which is which is the balance yeah. and so it, it's very hard to do everything well and i don't think we do i think we do very few things well you know i think we do a lot of things well enough but not not great
0: yeah it is an interesting dynamic there you're talking about because i think a lot of um founders and founders advisors and honestly me included would say you know focus on what you're good at and leverage that to the to the billio and then what you're not necessarily good at and what isn't necessarily going to be a core competency outsource that to somebody that can do it better than you because they've got more time and they're specialists at it. And, and quite openly, I usually recommend people outsource things like Facebook and Google and that sort of stuff to an agency who's got the time and energy to keep up with the constant changes. I mean, we all, I'm not even going to talk about the debacle that some of those platforms have been in the last, in the last four months. I think everybody listening is going to understand what I mean when I talk about that just briefly, but So, but you've taken the interesting challenge on board to bring all that in house. And so you, what you've, you've actually developed out an entire team as a marketing competency, you know, internally.
1: Well, you know, we're we're 12 people full-time now, nine of those are in the factory. So everything else that Citizen Wolf does, says, puts out in the world and stands for is really the result of just the three of us co-founders. And that's everything from like the emails to the website, to the, you know, fundraising to the to the performance the performance marketing. Yeah. When do you sleep? Um, look, we, we're getting much better at that. We <laughs> you know, we were seven days a week for the first few years. But look, it's really just a function of focus, you know, like yeah. it's easy to I think it's easy to be busy and I'm guilty of this. It's easy to be busy. It's easy to keep busy. It's very hard to always be focusing on the number one Thing or problem or the re- the thing you should really be focusing on. To your point, you can get bogged down in the complexity of a system like Facebook, but you can also just say, "Look, let's just have a very simple top, middle, bottom of funnel structure, and not try and reinvent the wheel, and not try and swing for the fences, and have a have a ROAS which is good enough. You know, if it's not setting the world on fire, and that I guess that's the approach." that we've taken you know emails is the is the thing that consistently consistently performs for us it's certainly our best channel as it is most people and then you know but we have to acquire customers as well so that's where that's where the sort of the top of funnel ads come in um,
0: Let me sort of open the door to wrapping up by saying, what's next? You know, you guys have just had a tremendous equity crowd raising round uh, to raise a bunch of capital. What are you going to use that for? And 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 what's on the horizon for the next couple of years for Citizen Wolf?
1: Yeah, thanks. So we just con- just closed on Virtual a few weeks ago. We raised a million dollars, which is amazing, and um, we were very clear with what we said we would do with that money on Virtual, and that's three things. First of all, make more product. Because up until very recently, we really only had one product, which was the Magic Fit t shirt. Uh, at the start of this year, we, we sort of we launched polos for men and then later for women. And then just in winter, you know, a couple of months ago, we launched sweats for the first time, all based on the same Magic Fit inputs. And so the first thing we want to do with, uh, with the money from virtual is scale out product and make more of the things that our customers are already asking us to buy. And I'm on record in many places saying uh, our North Star is denim jeans, right? Like custom fit jeans based on just your magic fit. I consider it to be a game changer and that's where we're ultimately aiming with Citizen Wolf as a brand, right? So that's number one. Number two is we need to scale out the factory to keep up with making all of those products because unlike other fashion brands where you're like, oh, let's go and make a jacket. Let's find a factory that's good at making jackets and let's go there for our supply. We can't do that. So for us to make a jacket, it means we have to get across learning how to make a jacket, right? Yeah. And like, So it goes back to that beginner's mind of like, okay, well, how hard can it be, right? What machines do we need to buy? Do we need to find new seamstresses that have that capability? How can we make a jacket, blah, blah, blah. So we have to go on that learning journey. So that's that's quite an ask in the factory, right? And then, of course, we have to make it fast enough and and blah, blah. So the second thing we're doing with the money is scaling out the factory. And then the third thing we're doing with the money is starting to sell internationally. Because the people that buy our product here at Citizen Wolf, these people exist all around the world. You know, we call them the impact shopper. They're the people that basically vote with their wallets for the world they want to see. I'm sure they're the same people that listen to this podcast. You know, they use, thank you. Thank you. So they buy who gives a crap toilet paper. They, from our research, the blokes wear our Williams uh, boots and, and so on and so forth. So like, we've got a pretty clear idea of who our customer is finally five years in, we got there late, but, but we're there now. And, um, we know that that type of person exists all around the world. And frankly, what we've built here with Susan Wolf and, uh, it is bigger than Australia. And obviously the opportunity is much bigger outside of Australia too. So. So that's the third thing we're doing with the money. And that's starting to test international markets. Once we've found one that, that really works and it's resonating from a, an acquisition perspective, right? So once the marketing's working in a, in a new geography, then our ambition is to clone the factory that we've built here and build a second one in that place. Because it's always been important to us to use local labor with local fabrics for that local market and so our, our sort of grand plan for Citizen Wolf is to have a series of micro factories around the world, one in each geography that we're selling into um, that, that run that model and then the medium term, again we were not shy about talking about this on virtual, the medium term and long term opportunity is and always has been starting to license the technology that we've built and allowing other people in the industry to move to a made to order model because no matter how big Citizen Wolf grows and I think, you know, it can go to the moon, so to speak, but fashion is one of the most fragmented businesses in the world. They're really, it's not a winner take all business. It's not like software. It's not like a lot of, a lot of other businesses. So even the hugest, largest fashion brands in the world, there's not a single one that accounts for more than 2%, I believe, of the global um, fashion business, right? It's hyper-fragmented. So no matter how big Citizen Wolf grows, it's never going to be able to affect change at scale in and, of, in and by itself. So our ambition has always been to, to spin out and license and sell the technology that we built to the rest of the industry. That's, so that's the medium-term plan. But um, the good news is that building the Citizen Wolf brand and scaling product is the necessary first step for being able to sell the tech anyway because until it makes more than t-shirts no one no other brand is going to be interested um, so we're going to make we're going to scale it out to make all the things under the citizen wolf brand and then at that at that point in the future when there are there are brands that want to move this way because you know the the environmental benefits of made to water are indisputable right the customer benefits of custom fit are indisputable and what we're proving with Citizen Wolf is that the business metrics are also fundamentally better than the rest of the industry and indisputable. You know, so our repeat purchase is three and a half times better than the industry the e-com average in Australia for fashion. And our return rates is four times lower. And so what we believe we've built is not only a better product, but fundamentally a better business. And what we want to do is, is license the tech so the rest of the industry can move that way, get themselves a better business, but also accrue all the environmental benefits at the same time. So, yeah, very, you know, a couple of things we want to do. Yeah, just
0: a couple of couple of things. It should be a snap. Yeah, very, very smart plan. Expand out your product range, expand out your geographies, and then license the tech just to, to expand out your impact. I mean... You know, summarizing it up like that, it clearly is that you you guys are a very smart group of entrepreneurs in the right place at the right time, because fashion is and a fashion apparel is the fastest growing e-commerce segment of all I think it grew just under 19% in 2021, you know, which is by, by far the fastest of all the sectors so. Uh, right place, right time, having spent, you know, six years building it and testing it, improving it. Uh, so it's not like a flash in the pan. And and this is why I was excited to be part of the journey with, with the equity raise was I think you guys are probably the best position. Thank you to take advantage of the next five years of this industry's growth. And I'm very excited to be part of the journey. Thank you so much uh, Zoltan for your very generous time today. And, And I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and I, I wish nothing but the absolute roaring success for the Citizen Wolf brand over the, over the coming years.
1: Thank you, Giles. Thank you very much. It's been an honor to be here and I appreciate your time.
0: Back to Giles again for my top three takeouts. And I think, One of the most refreshing perspectives, especially in someone trying to reinvent an industry, is the approach of saying, how hard can it be? Now, maybe it takes an industry outsider to think like that. And certainly Zoltan, Raul and Eric are not native to the fashion industry. But the key point is that taking a, yeah, we can do that approach, opens the doors to new ways of thinking, new techniques, new strategies, and potentially even the development of new in-house capabilities. Indeed, the philosophy of how hard can it be led them to in-house their Facebook marketing, and that's my second takeout. Now, usually my answer for how hard can it be when it comes to building and scaling Facebook campaigns is very fucking hard, and I would frankly almost always recommend outsourcing it. But that being said, Zoltan's point about customer acquisition being a core competency of an online realta- retail brand is is fairly made and their funnel is working for them because rather than being focused on setting the world alight with their ad campaigns, their focus is where it needs to be on delighting and retaining customers and encouraging repeat purchasing through their email channel. My last takeout is just the simple, smart and logical growth plan they've laid out. While the technology they're building and their objectives for redefining an industry do seem like rocket science to me, the best laid growth plans are usually conceptually simple. Scale out their range of garments to more broadly serve existing customers. Duplicate their existing model to new geographies. And finally, multiply their impact by licensing the model to other fashion brands. I don't doubt for a moment that having such a succinct and clear plan was one of the reasons for their recent equity raise success. And worth thinking about if you want to follow in a similar path for raising capital. Now, I'm actually going to add a fourth takeout, something that Zoltan just touched on and we just didn't have time to dig into any further. He mentioned that for him, custom fit jeans were Citizen Wolf's North Star, the ultimate accomplishment in the world of made to order and custom fit casual wear. I love the notion of having a North Star for your business, something to navigate towards to help you really set a new benchmark for sustainability in your industry. So I'll leave you today with a challenge. What could your brand's North Star be and what would you need to do in your business to achieve it? So I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Zoltan. I'll be back with you again next week with another inspiring founder interview from the world of sustainable e-commerce. And so until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.